It's great to be with you today in Mesa at South Mountain, our uh, chapel services. We got so many good things going on today, and I'm excited to be able to be with you and, and bring you a message from the Lord. I want to talk today on the subject, Jesus is building his church. How many of you know we're already off to a good start? It says in Matthew 16, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Jesus is building his church. Different kings and emperors and rulers and dictators have tried to stop it. Some philosophers have even predicted that it would never last, that it would fail, but it just keeps on going. How many of you know you cannot stop what Jesus is building? (laughs) Satan has tried to stifle it, but you cannot stop the unstoppable. Death could not stop Jesus, and the devil cannot stop the church of Jesus Christ. So Jesus has been building his church, but he wants us to partner with him. He wants you to follow him and do what he does. Jesus wants you. Now, when I was growing up, I had a poster of Uncle Sam saying, I want you on my bedroom wall. That's not really normal. What kind of kid does that? I guess the kind of kid who ends up joining the military. I think that just seeing that poster, Uncle Sam saying, I want you, gave me a sense that there was a calling to a higher purpose. And I want you to understand today that there's a higher calling on your life. In fact, I want to say to the parents in the room, the goal as a parent is not that your child would survive childhood, but that they would grow up sensing their calling. That they are designed, each and every one of us are intended to join Jesus in building his church. On one hand, it's most accurate to say Jesus is building his church. Amen? Amen. But it's also accurate to say he's building his church by the power of the Holy Spirit through us. So that means I'm building his church, you are building his church, and through us, Jesus is ultimately building his church. It's a little awkward for me to say that in some ways. I kind of hesitate to say, like, I'm building his church, you're building his church, because, you know, we want to give him all the credit. We want to give him all the glory. But don't worry, he still gets all the credit. He still gets all the glory, but we get to share in the reward. Jesus did not save you to just be a church goer, but he saved you to be a church builder. Now, some people get really skeptical and maybe even a little negative about big churches or church growth. And I, I get it. But I want to say this. I grew up 
a long time now in the church, around a lot of churches over the last 36 years across the country, and I can tell you this with a lot of confidence, generally speaking, that when churches grow, it's because they're healthy. Unhealthy things eventually become toxic and die. Healthy things typically grow and continue to multiply. And that's true in all aspects of life. That's just the way that God designed the universe. Healthy marriages tend to result eventually in growing families. Healthy businesses result in growing profits. Healthy gardens result in growing plants. And healthy Christians result in growing churches. So maybe you're like, what, what makes a church healthy? And I kind of felt like I should tell you that. Like, well, I should tell them what, what makes a church healthy. So let me give you eight essentials of a healthy church. And if you're like, well, what does this sermon have to do with me? You could just cross out church if you want, and you could write me. There's more things than this that could go into it, but these are the essentials of a healthy church and also a healthy Christian. Number one, Jesus is the hero. Jesus is the hero. Not a pastor, not a cause, but Jesus. It says in Galatians 6, as for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And can I just tell you as a pastor, my hope, my prayer is that when you think about what God's doing in your life, that you would always talk more about Jesus than your pastor. He's the hero. Number two, a healthy church is committed to preaching God's word. If you search in Oprah's book list for help, Younger generation, if you search podcasts, YouTube videos to get the help that you need in life, you're always going to come up empty and your life is going to be unhealthy. Second Timothy 4.2, Paul said to Timothy, preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Good teaching looks like this. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. I mean, good preaching from the word of God. Sometimes it says, hey, you're wrong. And there's a better way. This is what it looks like. God's going to help you to do that. That's what it looks like. Here's the third thing. Healthy churches, the people submit to God's authority and obey God's commands. This is something that we do. We obey all of his commands because we recognize he's in charge versus just selectively paying attention to the parts of the Bible that we like. We obey all of his commands. We don't just read the parts of the Bible where it says God loves us and has a plan for our lives. We also obey the parts where God tells us how that we should incorporate our lives into the plan that he has for our lives. We submit to his authority. In John 14, Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. James 1 says, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. And so if you have a church where people don't actually do what the Bible says, that church can never be healthy. It'll never ultimately grow. Number four, healthy churches practice ongoing confession and repentance of sin. Ongoing confession and repentance of sin. James 5 says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You cannot have revival without the confession of sin. And so I wanted to say to someone today, because I know that maybe sometimes... As a Christian, you still sin. Don't worry when you sin. Worry when you stop confessing your sin. Fifth, healthy churches are welcoming to the Holy Spirit. 
Galatians 5 says, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Without the Holy Spirit, churches become spiritually impotent. We don't always know what he's going to do, what it's going to look like, how he's going to lead us, but we know we need him. And so we open our hearts to him, we open our church to him, and we ask him to have his way. Six, in a healthy church, Christians are becoming more Christ-like. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. So really, as a Christian, I'm not just trying to become a better version of me. I'm trying to become a mini version of Christ. Amen? It's a process. Repeat after me. I'm not perfect, but I'm progressing. Doesn't that feel good? Doesn't that sound right? I'm not perfect, but I'm progressing. And that's okay with God. God's okay with the fact that you're not perfect, but you are progressing, and that's what he wants. That's enough. That's enough for me. That's enough for God. He wants us to continually keep becoming more and more like Christ. Number seven, healthy churches have a passion for reaching lost people. In Mark 16, 15, Jesus told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. How can we be saved from hell and then be indifferent to other people going to hell. That would be, that'd be crazy. That means, so, yeah, I'm glad that I've been saved. I'm going to church. I love my church. But, man, I want to see lost people also find salvation and experience new life in Jesus. And then, eight, a healthy church has compassion for the poor, the poor and the needy. If we don't, then we're just a country club. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells this parable, this story, and he says this, Then these righteous ones, so this is what righteous people say and do, will reply, Lord, when do we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When do we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king, who represents Jesus, the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. So when we help the poor and we show compassion to the needy, the outcast, the downtrodden, it's like we're doing it for Jesus. I'm very excited and proud of the fact that our church feeds hundreds of families every week through our food pantry ministry. You guys know James 1 says that pure religion is caring for the orphan and widow in their distress. One thing really cool Yesterday, our church family got to love on 170 kids from group foster homes. 21 group foster homes. We got to love on them through our chosen ministry. We gave them school supplies, snacks, food, games, haircuts. We also gave gift baskets and gift cards to the leaders of these group homes to thank them for taking good care of these kids. And also over 30 kids accepted Jesus at this event. I love that. I also love that there's families in our church starting to foster, and 
working on adoption. That's so pleasing to God. And while I was away, I was also working on some new ways that our church is going to feed thousands of kids and help poor people around the world uh, through one of our strategic partners. I'll tell you more about that soon. So just note, these are the eight essentials of a healthy church. These are not the eight excuses to be a Pharisee or a judge. This doesn't mean we should sit around judging and criticizing other churches and pastors, how they're coming up short. But if we want to judge, the Bible says we should look in the mirror and judge ourselves. Examine ourselves and how we might be healthier in our walk with God. But the way that Jesus designed his church is that if we're healthy, it's impossible for us to not grow. Because Jesus is attractive. And the world is desperate for truth and love and freedom and purpose. And there's only one place where the deepest human needs can be met and the cost to get in has already been paid. That's the church of Jesus Christ. There are, there are even some people today, I'm seeing this on social media, calling themselves ex-vangelicals. And they're saying, you know, well, I'm not leaving Jesus, but I'm leaving the church. I'm done with the church. The thing is, you cannot leave the thing Jesus loves without also leave, leaving Jesus. And if you leave Jesus, you've got nothing left. He's the only way, truth, and life. You cannot leave the church and still fulfill your purpose to build the church. In Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So as Christians, we often call this the Great Commission. His disciples obeyed this great commission. They started making disciples there locally where they lived, and then they spread to the surrounding cities, and then they spread to other countries. And everywhere they went, they told people the good news about Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven, that he rose again on the third day by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you can be saved by him through faith in him according to God's grace, and that he's coming again for his church. And as people told people, the church grew. And that's still happening today. One of our church uh, family members from our South Mountain campus, Lori, she shared this testimony in our church Facebook group. She said that back in the day, her daughter, Nadia, started attending the church with a friend when her daughter was eight years old. Her daughter accepted Jesus, and then she started inviting her mom to church. Her mom, Lori, then came to church and eventually got saved. Then she invited her new boyfriend. And then Corey got saved. Now, Corey's her husband. Fast forward to 2020, she said, my husband and I began attending CR, Celebrate Recovery. And she said, we saw God move big time in our family. In October 2020, her mom, sister, brother, and cousin also started coming to church. She said, my mom only attended Catholic church when she was young but never knew Jesus. I know a lot of people that have a story like that. She's now present every Sunday. My mom expresses how much she loves God and sees what he's doing in her life. And now her mom is praying for her other two sons 
to come to church and get saved. And she said, one of those sons started watching Generation Church Online and loves it. That's the first step, bro. God's got a plan for you. I'm glad you're joining us online. So when we obediently go like Jesus told us to, the church inevitably grows. In fact, that's the general formula for every part of your life. Any good thing you want to grow, it starts with obedience and doing what God says to do. When you show people mercy like Jesus said to, it's going to result in you receiving mercy. When you handle money like God said to, you get rewarded with blessing in your finances. When you worship God like he said to, you get rewarded with the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. When you love people like God said to, you get rewarded with friends. When you make Jesus's mission your mission, you get rewarded with purpose. Health follows obedience. When I was new in ministry, I remember one day I read the parable of the ten servants. That's where Jesus gives ten servants one bag of silver each. And it says in Luke 19, the first servant came back and reported after some time, Master, I invested your money and made ten times the original amount. Well done, the king exclaimed. You are a good servant. You've been faithful with the little I entrusted to you, so you will be governor of 10 cities as your reward. So each servant was trusted with his master's wealth and resources. One servant, this first servant, was faithful and experienced great productivity, and he was able to come back to his master with 10 bags where he had received one bag. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You're a good servant. That shows us how Jesus thinks about growth, how he thinks about success. It's a good thing when you're growing what Jesus cares about, the church. He's building his church. That's what he's after. And helping him in that process makes you a good servant. He doesn't need your help, but he chooses to work through you. So here's what that means. It's not sinful or prideful to want to build something. Where's all my type A people at? All my achievers, right? I'm going to let you feel real good right now. It's not a sin to want to build something and be successful and achieve. As long as you're achieving and striving for building the thing that Jesus cares about most. He says that's good. We're not carrying out the agenda of a man when we talk about church growth, we're talking about God's agenda. So when I read that parable about the 10 servants, I remember praying, just telling you like what I was praying at the time. I was like, Lord, I want to be a faithful servant. I want to be a 10 times servant. I want our church to be a faithful church, be a 10 times church. And God's been doing great things at Generation Church. We have grown in great ways, and only God could have made this possible. I've been on staff for about 10 years now, and when I first came on staff, our church was about 300 people. I've been the lead pastor of this church for about seven years now, and today our church is over 3,500 people <laughs> who come to church on an average week. Uh, we've been recognized as one of the top 100 fastest growing churches in America the last five years in a row. Two of those years, we were the fastest growing church in Arizona of any denomination. Even by healthy church standards, that's not normal. So that just proves God gets all the credit. 
He gets all the glory. Because this is not something that could happen through human wisdom or effort. Amen? Amen. Now, since last spring, we've had a good chunk of our church family joining online. And I'm glad that they are. I'm glad that you're joining us online. If that's you, if you're still um, joining us online at home because you have a a legitimate health problem that prevents you from coming, I just want you to know you have my full support and blessing. Uh, But I just feel led to encourage that some of you, I fear, may have just developed some bad habits. Maybe you're watching online every week and you've just developed some bad habits because let's be honest, it's easier to go from your bedroom to the couch than from your house to the church. And maybe you just kind of got stuck in this new routine where it's easier to stay home. And if that's you as your pastor, I just want to encourage you, it's time to come back home. It's time to come back. Maybe, uh, maybe some of you have even developed a fear, if you're being honest, of going out and being around other people. It's time to come back. It's not good for you to live in isolation. We need to be together. So if that's you, if you're joining us online today, I'm glad you're with us, but I want to invite you to come back next week. In Psalm 133, it says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity, for unity is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Unity is refreshing as the dew for Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. That's Psalm 30. That's, a, that's the whole chapter. You just read a whole chapter of the Bible today. <laughs> you cannot live together in unity if you're not doing life together. So that's why we need to be together. Unity, the Bible says, is like anointing oil, which is symbolic of the Holy Spirit's presence and power. Unity is refreshing. And I hear this over and over again the last you know, year as people have come back to church after being um, online only for a long time. They always come in and they're always like, ah, oh, I didn't realize how much I needed this. Ebony posted uh, in our church Facebook group, she said, today was my first day back in church service. This was June 29th, I think. She said, she said this, she said, honestly, I became lazy. It was just so easy to watch online and not show up. But there's nothing like physically and mentally showing up. Look what she said. The place was bursting with the Holy Spirit. It kind of goes with that Psalm 133 passage that when we come together in unity, it's like anointing oil, which is symbolic of the Holy Spirit's presence and power in our lives. We feel God's presence and power when we come together. We need that. It's refreshing. So listen, if any of you know someone who is not in church, who needs to be in church, I'm inviting you right now to invite them to come back with you next week. It's not about coming to the building It's about being with the people in the building. I'm grateful for buildings, especially in the summer. Amen? (laughs) I want to see you back. Um, If you attend our South Mountain campus, you might not know the full history of of the church, but that physical campus exists because a lot of faithful people sacrificed, and they first they built the chapel building in 1994, and then as the church grew, more people gave and sacrificed, and they built the current main worship facility in 2007. 
And if you attend the Mesa campus, you might not know this, but the church originally was over just a small building up Ellsworth on Main Street. And in 1987, a bunch of faithful people sacrificed to build what's now our chapel building back behind me. Then the church grew and many faithful people gave and sacrificed to build this building in 2001 with many subsequent add-ons over the next uh, dozen years or so so that we could reach more people. And now in both these locations every week in our chapels, there's hundreds of kids learning about Jesus, teenagers, thousands of adults gathered every single week. Isn't that awesome? In August 2019, Uh, our church started to sacrifice and give again so that we could build again and keep growing and reach even more people. So Generation Church is still growing. And I know you may be like, you're like, I know, Pastor Ryan, I see the construction, the fence, the trucks, the dirt, but I'm not just talking about at Mesa. I'm not just talking about at South Mountain. Today I've got a special announcement. got a new campus coming this fall. Generation Church is coming to Fountain Hills. Uh, Just to give you a little bit of backstory on how that happened, it's not something that was originally in our plans, but there's a church in Fountain Hills called Fountain Hills Christian Center, and God led through just a series of promptings uh, some time ago for me to start talking to their church board. And this is a church that has been, in a lot of ways, struggling now for many, many years. Haven't had a kids' ministry in 10 years. And they sensed that God had a bigger plan for their church. And we, through prayer, through conversation, sensed that God was leading us to join together. And they felt God leading them to become a part of Generation Church so that there could be a spirit-filled, life-giving church that's healthy and growing in Fountain Hills, which is a pretty affluent community, but less than 10% of the community goes to church. And so right now we are excited that God has brought us together, that through his plan and his timing, not ours, He's opened up this door, this next opportunity to keep reaching more people who are far from God. So I was working on this a little bit while I was away. I wasn't just relaxing the whole time. I had to go to some board meetings, some business meetings. They're really fun. Uh, but, <laughs> but God was working, right? And he brought us to this point. The church members voted. It became official. Uh, while I was on a vacation, I met our church staff there. We went through the building. Our staff is already working. They're planning. We're going to renovate the whole facility and make it feel just like Generation Church. We're going to start building a team uh, who's going to go and help us launch that campus. So God might work on some of you to become a part of that team. It's a beautiful 20-something minute drive from here. And God's going to use some of you to go and help us launch that campus. And we're going to start building in Fountain Hills. I'm so excited. It's going to be awesome. 
So we got good things going on. We got a church building going up here. We got our South Mountain campus growing, and then now we're growing across the valley. Uh, it's going to be incredible. So let me just kind of wrap this sermon up with just a little bit, uh, a little practical takeaway, how to be a builder. Jesus is building his church. He wants you to partner with him. Here's how to be a builder. First, if you want to be a builder, you can't be a hater. Occasionally, you know, I, I hear people, sometimes on social media, I really shouldn't use social media. I hear people, they just kind of hate on large growing churches. And, and what happens is that some people get this kind of like romantic idea that small churches are somehow more authentic and quaint. And there's, there's nothing wrong with small churches necessarily. But the problem is there's a lot of people in the world who are going to hell. And so, really, there's nothing wrong with small churches, but our prayer, and I think Jesus' desire, is that every church should grow. There are some people, they just kind of have a bad attitude about that. They're like, why are we always talking about church growth? Why can't we just be happy with the way things are? (laughs) Have you ever heard anybody like that? Well, I'll tell you why, because some mom's kid is still going to hell. Still far from God, still needs Jesus. And while there are people who still need Jesus, we're going to keep working. Keep working to build the church. Every time I see in a TV show or a movie a large church portrayed, it's always super sketchy. And the pastors are like the biggest hypocrites in the whole church. (laughs) But most of the time, I'll just tell you, in real life, Large churches become large churches or mega churches because they committed themselves at one point to doing the things healthy churches do. And Jesus designed healthy churches to grow. In John 12, he said, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. That's just the thing. When you lift Jesus up, he attracts people to himself. He's been doing it since he walked the earth. Everywhere he went, he drew large crowds. In fact, the church of Jesus Christ grew to a mega church on its first day. Before Acts chapter 2, when they got the Holy Spirit, they were just believers. But on that day, they got the Holy Spirit and they became a fellowship. And the Lord added 3,000 people in one day. So don't hate on church growth. Also, don't hate on leadership decisions. It's easy to be a food critic. It's hard to be a chef. It's easy to tear down. It's hard to build up. And what I found is that the people who criticize their leaders the most tend to be the same people who pray for their leaders the least. In Hebrews 13, verse 17, it says, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls, and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. So a lot of pastors don't read this verse because it's kind of awkward, and it feels, it feels self-serving, but it's not self-serving. It's you serving. <laughs> See, the problem... Uh, This isn't a problem really at this church, but this is a problem at a lot of churches that I talk to. I talk to a lot of pastors across America. They struggle with this where the people don't listen to them and they just criticize and they have bad attitudes and, and they undermine their leadership position. And I can tell you what, without exception, those churches never grow. They never grow. And I know as Americans that we struggle with submission to authority. Like, you know, nobody's gonna tell me what to do. I'm independent, I'm free, America. 
But God gives us spiritual authority for blessing and protection. So I want to thank you for being so passionate and united in the vision to build Jesus' church. I want to encourage you to support your leaders in your teams, the ministry leaders in our church, the pastors. Let's work together and honor God with a common goal. Don't hate on change. If you want to build the church, you can't hate on change. You'll hear people sometimes, you're like, I miss the way things used to be. I miss what I grew up with. I miss the choir and the organ and the candles and the hymn book. I miss the dramas. I miss the human videos. I miss the programs I had as a kid. And I just, I'll just say, me too. I miss some of those things too. I remember I grew up in the church as a church kid. Every row had a hymn book in front of it. Sometimes I would take it out and I would smell it. It smelled old. There's nothing quite like that smell. There, there's a lot of great stuff that we used to do. I mean, as a kid, right, things that we grew up with. And I kind of miss some of those things, too. But I can just tell you that it doesn't mean those things were better. As Christians, we come from an ancient, an ancient tradition that goes back to Jesus 2,000 years and then back to Abraham thousands of years before that. So we should honor the past and celebrate it. But we're always longing for the future and where God is taking us. Jesus said in Mark 2, new wine calls for new wineskins. If we want to see Jesus do a new thing, we've got to accept that God's going to do it in a new way. If you want to see him reach new people, you've got to accept that he's going to use new methods. And I know that that can be scary, but believe it's true that the best is yet to come. That's not just a cute saying. It's true for you as a Christian. The best is yet to come. No matter what you're facing, heaven is in your future, so the best is yet to come. Many people, they resist change because they fear loss, and we like to all think that we're adventurous and, and open-minded, but the truth is that we tend to be creatures of habit more than we like to admit. So whenever we hear that things are going to change, sometimes we struggle with fear that we're going to lose something we love. This is why so many churches never grow or even die, because the people in some of these churches, they, they fall more in love with what they love than what God loves, more in love with a certain style of music or a way of doing things or traditions than the people who need salvation. So sometimes I hear people just get hating on change. I don't like this music. I don't like this live streaming stuff. I liked my old parking spot. I know the new parking lot's bigger, but I liked my old parking spot. <laughs> Some people are going to be like, I don't, I don't even want to change services, let alone campuses. <laughs> As your pastor, I feel the responsibility to tell you this. Some of you already know this, but some of you need to hear this. It's not just about you. So don't get me wrong, this church is for you, but it's not just for you. It's not just about what you want, but it's about doing what works to reach lost people. If God is moving through the things we're doing, we're going to keep doing those things. If God starts moving through new methods, we're going to switch to those things. If you got to change tactics to reach the next generation, we're going to change tactics. 
It's funny, as the church has grown, you know, throughout the time I've been here, every time as we grow, people leave. And they always say, I hear it all the time, it's just changed. Things have just changed. And the thing is, like, it's true. Things do change. The church is changing. The question is, will you? The church is going to grow with or without you because Jesus is the one building it. And so really, I just want to ask you all, would you rather be a part of a growing, changing church or a stagnant, unhealthy church where things never change? We have to be careful that we don't glorify a particular season or style of ministry. We should draw strength from the stories of what God has done, but yearn for the miracle that God is going to do. So listen to me, make sure that you stay more excited about the next miracle than the last miracle. I'll be honest, we got, we got room for broken people, hurting people, confused people, but there's no room in a healthy church for bad attitudes about church growth because church growth comes from God. I'll show you, Acts 2, it says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Who added? The Lord added. In Acts 9, it says, Then the church had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. In other words, they did what God says to do. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. It's not about the numbers. It's about the numbers. There's a whole book of the Bible called Numbers. Because numbers represent people. So if you've got a bad attitude about Jesus building his church, you've got a bad attitude about Jesus. And I'm not saying that to beat anyone up, but to help you up. We're not people who hate on what God is doing. We celebrate what God is doing. Jesus is building his church, and he's using us in the process, and that's amazing. So please don't forget to pray for your church because it's hard to hate on the people you're praying for. Amen? Amen. You can't be a hater. Here's the next thing. If you want to be a builder, you can't be a taker. So if I go to the Chinese buffet after church, there's a new one right over there. I'll be honest. I'm not going there to help. I'm not going to contribute. I'm not planning on washing dishes. I'm there to take. I'm going to take some delicious orange chicken and put it in my belly. That's my purpose. And this is the same way that the average Christian relates to his church. And that's why the average church is not growing but shrinking. Because people show up, they consume God's word, they take help from the pastors maybe when they need it, they benefit from the church, but they never become the church. And I'll just tell you right now, as your pastor, I will unashamedly ask you to be the church. I'm going to unashamedly ask you to partner with Jesus and build his church. Because that's my job. Ephesians 4 says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. My job is to equip you to build his church. We're going to build his church together. 
The ways you do that, man, serving, serve on a team, serve the Lord. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. You do it through giving, tithing, funds the ministry of the church. And you know that when you tithe, God blesses you for your faithfulness. And I just felt like God wanted me to say, if you started tithing, but then you stopped, I just know that you probably did that because you got scared. You started to fear that you wouldn't have enough. But I want you to trust God to supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. If you're struggling with money, the answer isn't to take your finances out of God's hands. To put it into God's hands is the answer. That's what you need to do. We do that by tithing. We build the church through giving above and beyond to kingdom builders, and a majority of kingdom builders giving goes specifically to build the church and reach people who aren't here yet. Uh, We're just coming up on the close of our bold campaign, which we launched in August 2019. A bunch of people, they sacrificed and they gave, even all throughout COVID. 95% of the $2 million pledged has come in so far. And we're coming up on the close of that campaign, so I want to say thank you to everybody. And then we're going to go into a new phase here before too long, a month or so. I'm going to give all of us an opportunity to give or to keep on giving. And we've got opportunities to give. We've got a church building going up. We've got a new campus starting. We've got a lot of people in our city who need Jesus. There's a lot of opportunity to pray and give and serve and sacrifice, invite and to lead as Jesus builds his church. So don't waste your life being a taker or a spectator. Be a builder. That's what Jesus is about. It says in Luke 19, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And so I'm closing with this. If you want your life to have purpose, you must fully commit yourself to God's purpose. God's got a purpose for your life. And there are some specifics that I don't know about, but I do know the general purpose that God has for your life. Your purpose is God's purpose. Jesus is building his church. The question is, will you? Let's bow our heads. God, I thank you so much that you're working in us and among us. I thank you that you've saved us. You've set us free and you've given us the opportunity to belong to you and to be united as your people. And Lord, I know you're not done yet. We're part of a long, ongoing, continuing story and it's still continuing even today. And I want to give anyone who might be at church with us today or listening to the sound of my voice, an opportunity to become a part of that story, to become a part of the church of Jesus Christ. If you say, I heard that gospel news, that good news, that Jesus died for my sins and I want to be forgiven, I want to be set free from sin and death, I want to become a part of God's family, and I want to receive the power that God has for me to live and do what is right. If that's you today, wherever you're at, then pray this prayer with me right now. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to come into my life and save me. I believe you died on the cross for my sins so I could be forgiven. I believe you rose again so I could have victory and be set free and live in freedom. I want to follow you from this day forward for the rest of my life. I commit my life to you and I thank you for your love that never fails. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.